What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the football business podcast that goes behind the scenes and gives fans, industry experts, athletes, aspiring sports professionals, and more unrivaled insight into football, business, and how the beautiful game is evolving. Here is what I have lined up for you today. It's not just about getting your exercise and your nutrition right. It's about your mind and body to optimise your health and performance. I hope you love it. Not like it, I hope you love it. So if you're locked in and listening, give the pod a follow and a five-star review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's putting us. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fan. How you doing today, Claire? Welcome to the What the Footy podcast. Good to have you on the podcast. You also spoke at our event earlier in the year at Leighton Orient, where we, we, we touched on some of the things that we're going to speak about today. The people who were there at the event had a nice little little, little, little spoiler and a preview into, into today's episode, but, but now let's get into it. The first I question I always it. ask all the guests is, what is football to you, a business or a sport? Football is a business. Um, It involves investment. It involves investment in the players, the stadia, customer services. Um, It expects a return on that investment in terms of tickets, merchandise, sponsorships, broadcasting, for example. So, um, and if memory serves me right, it was like the late 1880s that that football was professionalised. But I think we need to remember that at the heart of football is sport and at the heart of sport are the players who facilitate that business. So I guess to me personally, I see football as a sport, but I understand understand that it's also also a profession and and, and a business. No, that is brilliantly well summed up. I think that's probably one of the, one of the best answers we've had had to that question in a while. So uh, no, brilliant. So just, just sort of linking on to that, um, just kind of explain, obviously I, I know what Horizon is, just kind of explain to the listeners and the audience why you start Horizon, what is Horizon, what is the business model and how does that feed into, into these wider issues that we see within football right now? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. So um, in terms of why we started Horizon, so I come from a research background. I'm a scientist and I've always had a really deep interest in uh, healthy aging and optimizing lifelong health and performance. Um, and so that's not just about a long life, but a healthy life. And I had an opportunity uh, two years ago to take that approach into the mental health arena. So mental health problems in children and young adults. Um, it was sponsored by Zinc VC. And it was there that I met my co-founder, Jolly Zoo, who's the CEO of, of ProRisen. And essentially, what I was particularly interested in doing initially was saying, okay, well, if nutrition and um, exercise are fundamental to healthy living, then if we turn our attention to sport, the healthiest people in the world should be athletes. 
But the more you dig into that arena, the more apparent it becomes that athletes suffer significantly with mental health issues. So Vincent Gutenberg put out a publication in 2021 looking at Australian football players, men and women, and reported that 63% of them report psychological distress. So with that distress, that chronic distress that athletes face, you see an increased incidence of immune dysfunction, you see an increased incidence of chronic ill health, and these are in supposedly the fittest people in the world. So, so that to me was really fascinating. That was like there's a disjoin between the mental and the physical health. And as a consequence, um, these athletes are suffering. And as a consequence, their long-term health is suffering. So that was kind of the, the fundamentals of how ProRisen started. It was really through a finding that revealed it's not just about getting your exercise and your nutrition right. It's about your mind and body to optimize your health and performance. So, so really, that's, that's what we're doing at ProRizon. Uh, to answer your second question, we are collecting um, very large data sets from athletes around their biological health, their psychological health, and their social health. We're integrating all of those together and then providing them with real-time feedback, almost like having your sports scientist, your nutritionist, your sports psychologist in your pocket, but providing you with feedback about your data to help you make informed decisions around health and performance. Was there no, a question? No, no, no that, that, that's, that's super useful. I want to just build on, on some of the stuff that you mentioned there, particularly around that, that data point that you mentioned from that research in, in 2020, because we're seeing... A lot more emphasis now. I wouldn't say we're in the perfect place yet, but we see more emphasis now on the whole idea of player well-being. A lot more teams now, not every single team, but a lot more teams now have player care, members of staff and officers and people who who, who support the players. But what do you feel as though is still missing and, and, and where you guys come in based on the sort of clients and, and, and clubs and, mm-hmm. and bodies that you guys are working with? Absolutely right. And I think it's it's very rewarding to see that recognition of the importance of good mental health in, in sport. And certainly clubs are emphasizing player welfare. I think Brighton and Hove is a really great example of, of where that happens well. But obviously, you know, it's it's a new area, relatively new area in high performing sports. So it's going to take up resources, it's going to take up expertise, it's going to take up time. And that will take time to develop. It's not going to happen overnight. So as a consequence, many players we find that we've spoken to are turning to other resources. So be it social influencers, be it apps that are available uh, for advice and for guidance. And oftentimes what they're finding is they're receiving contradictory information. And they'll look at information around physical performance separately from looking at inf- information around mental health and well-being. And so at Horizon, what we are doing is aggregating all of those data together. So as a biologist, I know your mind and your body don't work independently. So why would you try to support them independently? And at Horizon, that's what we're doing. We're integrating all of those data from your mental as well as your physical uh, demands and performance needs to feedback tailor-made programs that work for you as an individual based off your data not a population-wide algorithm. 
No, that's that's super useful. Can I, one thing I wanted to ask you is always that for, for, from the sort of um, athletes and players that you're speaking with, do you notice any real discrepancies in terms of that mental versus body aspect as it differentiates between the men's game and the women's game? What are the differences? What are the similarities? What are the needs and what are the wants? Fantastic question. So um, I, I have spoken to a number of female and male athletes. I think the female athletes are generally more able to speak about their mental health and their mental health issues, but um, and, and acknowledge that they may impact negatively on their performance. Uh, some of the men who I've spoken with have also acknowledged that they have mental health problems, but they find it more difficult to talk about them and they don't really know who to go to to speak about those uh, issues but also acknowledge that they impact on their performance and their well-being. So I think there's sort of a gap in the market from, from that perspective. And actually, the onus shouldn't be on the players to have to speak to the other players. There should be a very definitive, defined route where, where mental health can be taken care of as much as your physical health is taken care of. So in my view, it should be built into the programs of daily activity that the athletes are undergoing. So I think um, what we're finding is that um, kind of a couple of key factors come in. One is that around fear. So fear of failure, fear of injury, fear of being benched, fear of being subbed early, fear of being dropped, you know, the list is endless, but also around identity. So who the players are when they're not on the pitch. And those are kind of two key things that are consistently coming up in the men's and the women's game. And then the third one is around uh, fatigue. So, you know, if I've got to do really well, if I'm going to be selected, I just need to train like a crazy person. And of course, that isn't always the case. Recovery is fundamentally important. If you're not recovering well, you won't sleep well. If you're not sleeping well, you'll be more anxious and it just becomes a bit more of a vicious circle. So there's, there's similarities in terms of uh, what is driving the stress between the men and the women. Um, maybe the outlets are a little bit different in terms of their abilities to speak about them. But, but there's a long way to go yet. I think, you know, there's a lot of improvements to be made. And also, we don't have an awful lot of physiological data and female athletes full stop. So, you know, I think the, the women's sport, we're lagging behind quite significantly in the men's uh, both physiologically and from a mental health point of view. So while it's a challenge, it's also an opportunity to really make incredible strides forward in the women's game. Now, that, that point you mentioned about recovery is interesting because I believe that last I checked, the FIFA Pro data says that in between games, athletes need between 120 hours, which works out around about sort of five days to, to be able to perform at their optimum. <laughs> but as we know... <clears throat> That that five day period is um it it yeah, doesn't yeah. really exist. Like I think Arsenal played on Saturday and then we're gonna be playing um West Ham on Wednesday. So as you can see, there's there's no five days they've been playing on, on, on Saturday. Um what from your experience to speak with athletes, we hear it all the time. We spoke about it briefly at the event as well. I always debate it with people who I know who work with within clubs within the sort of the the sports medicine side of things about this whole idea of burnout, load management, um, are there too many games? What's been your 
what's been your assessment of of just looking at the data in general, speaking with athletes? Because there's more and more growing growing demand for more and more games. So best example is the Women's World Cup ended in the summer. Uh, barely a bit of a break straight into what was barely a pre-season for a lot of the players and then Nations League and then WSL season starts and even in the men's game as well we had a, a winter world and to be fair it was first of its kind and not not usual counts but winter world cup then we went back into the season and then clubs touring around the world and then straight into the season and we're going to have a Euros at the end of it and over the next coming years, we're going to see expansion of the Club World Cup, expansions to the Champions League format. What's your assessment of all of these these changes changes to the game? We know that there are too many games. I think we need to get rid of that elephant in the room. We know that uh, Serena Wiegmann has called for changes in the calendar. Uh, she's you know saying the players aren't rested well enough. We know female players. Uh, Perhaps we don't know the reason, but we do know that female players are at greater risk of injury. Injury risk increases when you're fatigued. So, um, you know, I think in advance of the uh, Women's World Cup, there were like 25 to 30 eligible players who couldn't play due to injury. So, uh, you know, we need to acknowledge that that there are too many games. How how do we deal with that? Um the clubs, the wealthier clubs can maybe look at rotation of players, um, resting players. We know, I guess, the data that we're aware of from, from men's football is that in the congested seasons where, um, you know, players are playing seven, eight games in a three-week period, that although running distance isn't compromised, fast speed runs are significantly compromised, negatively compromised. Uh, Injury risk is greater. You could say, well, is that due to more games? So there's a greater risk or is it because of, you know, the the fatigue that players are experiencing? But when you do see the rotations, it tends to be those, you know, those players who have to do that fast speed running. So somewhere in there, the coaches are recognizing that this is an issue and that those players do need to be rotated to protect them. Goals being scored in the last 10, 15 minutes when players are fatiguing uh, is another thing that's coming up. Players being out of position because they're not getting to where they need to be in time because of overplaying and fatigue. So I think we know that the problem is there. Uh, we know we're very conscious about the external load. Um, we mustn't forget the internal load, so that internal mental pressure of all of these extra games of maybe underperforming uh, as a consequence of fatigue, perhaps. We can look at nutrition to help, but it's not going to cure. Um you know, if I had the answer, I'd be a millionaire many times over. I don't have the answer, uh, particularly for those clubs who aren't as financially well off as the, the the higher level teams, you know, asking someone not to play for their country. It's a big ask. You know, maybe the clubs need to make the decisions on behalf of their players, um, but the players won't be happy. Uh yeah, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? It's tough, it's tough because I think in recent years we've seen, we have seen some concessions being made. So, for example, like FA Cup replays have been have been sort of um, 
sort of scrapped in a particular way. Like if you look at the way in, in terms of how sort of teams navigate the early rounds of of particular competitions and rotation of squad, but it's a really difficult balance because people talk about rotation, whether that's at the top six level or whether that's at the rest of the league level. But we all we all know in football that that what what a lot of teams, fans and and people want in general is elite player availability. Um like I'm an Arsenal fan that like we don't want Bukayo Saka to, to be rotated. We, we don't want. We need. He, he's the best player at our football club. We need. We need him and Declan Rice and people like that and William Saliva to to play every single game because that's what's required for us to to win football matches and be successful. And it's a difficult balance because even at the event that we had, we we had Adrian Mariapa there on on the panel. Who's, who's um, an established footballer who's played for his country, he's played in the Premier League, he's played across English football and, and we posed questions to him and some of the suggestions in terms of, okay, would you want to be rotated? No. Would you Would you want to have annual leave? No. Um, so there are too many games, but I think it all comes back to one of the key points that we always reiterate on this podcast through guests and, and have over the last three years, which is that whole idea of the collective. And it's something that Alex Colvin at Thief Pro spoke a lot about on our podcast episode, where it's a case of getting everyone in a room together and having that consultation. So do players want more games? Do broadcasters want more games? Do clubs want more games? Do fans want more games? Um, I don't think we... As a fan, speaking as a fan, I don't think I want more games. I just want higher quality games. Um, so, but it's 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 a dichotomy. It's a difficult question to to solve in terms of how do you get around these these particular issues. And it's easy to say just rotate your squads, but as we all know as fans and and, and people in the game, like rotating. Ex player who's your who's your talisman and replacing him with someone else is is completely different. But I know people have different different opinions, and I'm always arguing with uh, with uh, yeah. with some people on some of these topics. It comes, it comes back, back to that, to that very, very first question of is it a sport or is it a business? And if you look at some of the data around correlations between wage spending and league position and you look at associations between revenue generation and league positioning then you know if if they are associated then having more games means more revenue generation means a better league position on paper but I guess in practice uh, we also know that the increased number of hours that players are playing within a very short period of time is also associated with an increased risk of injury, burnout, fatigue, early career ending that may have been able to progress for longer. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm not that decision maker, but I think for me as a, as a bioscientist, I think that would be at the core of every conversation that I was having around you know, yes, of course, the fans want to see that player, but if that player is then injured out through, you know, a career-ending injury in some cases, or certainly a season-ending injury in others, are you then getting that return on your investment or are you not? And are you prepared to take that risk with such valuable players on your team 
or are you not? And I guess I guess what we need is for that first team to say, we're going to prioritize recovery and see how they do. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one because I think a, a lot of the time, a lot of the issues get conflated together. And this is a point I always... <laughs> speak to when I speak to to one of our sort of former guests who, who sort of works within the game in this aspect because I think in terms of in terms of like the whole idea of rotation like if you speak to majority of players if you ask them would you want to be on the bench today and not play in this game most of them will tell you no I want to play I think the main I think the main issue that a lot of them sort of have really from my, from my sort of opinion anyway and just through speaking to people is is in terms of the time off. So, for example, like a, a, a good example is this: we've just had a, a winter World Cup um, in the men's game. You've got a preseason tour. You're going to America. You're going to the Far East. You're playing all these kind of games. Full season. Then you have the Euros. Then you might have like two weeks off. Maybe have a short break. Barely a preseason for some players. You maybe get to the latter stages of the Euros next summer. Then bang, straight into another season. Yeah. And similar in the women's game, when you had the Women's World Cup, little bit of a preseason, bang, Nations League, bang, WSL, bang, another another Nations League game. And in, in, in the men's game as well, we have the... And, and I think Arsene Wenger put a suggestion of having maybe two international windows because I think another aspect of it is not only the lack of time off, but also the amount of travel. So, for example... Mm-hmm. The season. Imagine all of that, all the stuff I just mentioned there on the men's game. But then you now come back and have a September international break, an October national uh, international break that we just had one couple of weeks ago. And we're going to have another one in November and another another one in March. Um, so it's a lot of it's a lot of stop start. And you can imagine if you're like at Arsenal, we have a lot of players who play for Brazil, for example, and typically they're going to come back and fly back on like a Thursday. And like a Thursday or maybe like a Friday morning, barely trained after the international break. They've travelled from London to South America, like a 10-hour flight. And then they have to now go back and play a game on a Saturday. <laughs> and then you have like the Christmas game. The Christmas schedule just been announced. And luckily for Arsenal anyway, um, our two games over the festive period happen to be in London. So there's not mm-hmm. too much travelling for us. Um, but you can only imagine like playing like boxing they somewhere up in the country and having to play somewhere else mm-hmm. there. Um, and, and these aren't only issues for players, but they're also issues for fans as well. But that's a conversation for another day. Um, but yeah, I think they're just all these different things. But I think that the main thing that I think could be solved and could be solved maybe a bit easier is is that sort of time off for the players to switch off, spend time with their families. Um, I think I think that's a big thing as well in the... The travel time and the pressure on pressure on the players, um, I think, is another thing as well. Yeah, yeah I absolutely, absolutely agree. agree. And, and you know, you when know, you when think you... about what that load is, so not just the physiological load of the performance, but that that load on your your brain and your body as a consequence of time zones, as a consequence of travel. Um, we know players who going through that, generally speaking, are immunocompromised, so they're more susceptible to upper respiratory tract infections. That's going to inf- affect their ability to play. Um, you know, so maybe having an understanding of not just what the the physiological load is on those players, but the allostatic load, so that whole thing, the internal stresses 
as well as the in external stresses, what impact that has on your cardiovascular health. So your speed endurance, how's that going to be compromised? What impact that has on the nutritional interventions that are going to be provided to the athletes? So if an athlete is under chronic stress, they're not going to respond to the nutrition being provided as well. They're not going to perform as well because they're going to fatigue earlier than they normally would. So, um, you know, really, really understanding all of those pressures, that holistic approach to that mind and body health and performance. If we can collect those data, because there'll be some players who are significantly more resilient than others, there might be players who can go through that season on season and be absolutely fine. And there'll be other players who actually never reach their full potential. But imagine what they could have achieved if they'd got their rest periods right or their nutrition right or their recovery right. So, you know, if there are a way uh, to do that properly and, and at Horizon, that's what we're trying to achieve, then could you be optimizing the performance of everyone and still having those players playing the matches they need to play? Um, but Claire, it's been a great episode. Thank you so much for coming on the What The Footy podcast and sharing your invaluable insight into your world. Thank you for listening. I hope you loved it. And if you did, give the pod a follow and a five-star review and tell a friend to tell a friend. See you in a fortnight for the next episode. Let's go. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting awesome. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So winning the league, let's just win this to appease the fans.